Welcome to the teaching ministry of Steve Franklin. Steve's calling is to coach champions in the kingdom of God. Our prayer for you as you listen to this word of encouragement and instruction is that you'll be built up in your faith and encouraged to take the next step in your development as one of God's true champions. Here's Steve. Father, we commit your mighty and holy word to you. We ask you that you would reveal and give utterance to your servant the mighty energy of the Holy Spirit precious and holy name of Jesus and all the people said amen turn with me please to James chapter 4 we get back to our series that we start at the beginning of the year on the wisdom clinic the wisdom clinic we had a break there for Easter and last Sunday for special messages that the Lord wanted us to have we get back to this uh, subject today. And by the way, uh, for those of you uh, who've never uh, been to one of our men's business studies, we were, have not been able to meet for over a year. I begin those. I start back on this Tuesday morning at 7 a.m. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity and the health to be back. This Tuesday, 7 a.m., I know some of you have other studies that you have joined, and that's wonderful, but the Marketplace Ministry is uh, my heart and uh, always has been, so I hope you'll bear that in mind, and a uh, little change of time, 7 to 7.45 on this Tuesday morning. James chapter 4 is where we are. Chapter 3 is mighty, mighty powerful. You know, James talks about wisdom in every chapter so far. He tells us in chapter 1 that if we'll ask for it, God will give it to us. I take advantage of that all the time. Thank you, Lord. It is a gift. It is a grant that you are entitled to as a believer if you'll just ask in faith. Wisdom, the ability to see things like God sees them. He has a top-down view. We're looking horizontal. He sees the end from the beginning. He is omniscient and never forget it. He talks about here in uh, chapter 3 about, and he's addressing, by the way, you know this James is the half-brother of Jesus, spent a lot of time as a younger man in unbelief, and the resurrection changed everything. He was appointed called by God and appointed as the pastor of the church of Jerusalem. You don't think they had some high-powered uh, personalities there? Simon Peter, one of the apostles, all of the apostles, all of the apostles, teachers, prophets, mighty teachers like the apostle Paul, they were all under the spiritual leadership of James. He was the pastor of the church. What a testimony of the need for covering. Even the great men of faith came and submitted there in that church body. I encourage you to listen to whoever the Lord allows you to, but every person that you give a lot of influence in your life 
should be connected to the body of Christ and not wandering around out there on their own like they know everything and got it got everything with authority comes accountability there's been a lot of train wrecks when you don't have that so here they were and the great thing about it is in this church where James pastored the church of Jerusalem Many called out men and women went out everywhere all over the Roman Empire. But under the covering of the church and the God called leaders of that church. That's why we do what we do. And recognize what God is doing and where he's calling people out to go there in the marketplace and minister. In chapter 3. There's an amazing thing that changed my life many time, many years ago. In fact, one reason why I'm still standing here today ministering is because I, I got corrected by the Lord sitting in my office one day over on Oxmoor Road <clears throat> years ago in the early days of this ministry. In chapter 3, he talks about the power of the tongue. He talks to a group that thinks, that thought they were wise and that they ought to be doing the teaching. You see chapter 3 verse 1, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we teachers shall receive a stricter judgment. How many of you believe that's my favorite verse? <laughs> I avoid reading that one a lot. It is true. If you're a called out man or woman and you teach the word of God, you will have a stricter judgment. That's a sobering thing. And then at the end of that chapter, he talks about some of those who were really thinking that they were wise, but they had gotten into a place where they were actually competitive. They were internally striving with each other, and they were internally competitive with others, even as it related to the things of God. And he says there at the end of chapter 3, you, if you're wise and understanding, show by your good conduct that's done in the meekness of wisdom. Meekness is gentleness under control. But if you have bitter envy, King James says strife, and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. And then he says in verse 16, this powerful verse that the Lord spoke to me about years ago and brought me into a place of safety. Where there is envy and strife, where strife and envy exist, there is confusion in every evil thing. Wow. When we get into a position of strife with our spiritual family, with our natural family, confusion comes into the atmosphere and the door is open to every evil thing. Many years ago I was found myself getting into internal strife with someone who didn't particularly agree with where I believe the Lord was leading me and the Spirit of God said to me that day some deep correction. He said if you don't 
shut the door to strife, you're going to ruin your ministry. Pretty plain, isn't it? So I said, sir, I will not do that. I repent of it. And in Jesus' name, I tell you that I will not get in strife with anybody about anything at any time. And I wrote it down. And the Lord literally closed the door on the devil in that situation. Now, I can't take any credit for that. I'm the one that was getting under conviction. Strife is a door opener to confusion and every evil thing. Chapter 4, James says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? See, there's internal wars. They weren't actually killing each other in the services. Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? Understand that if we are driven and motivated by the internal desire to get our own way, to have our own agenda, it's like a war going on inside. You ever noticed how when you get in conflict with somebody close to you, when you get in conflict with somebody in your family, a spouse, a child, a grandchild, work, whatever, when you get into conflict with them, there is a tendency to want so badly to have your own way that it just feels like there's turmoil on the inside. It's almost, it almost feels like a battlefield in your inner person. The Word is addressing that for us here. He says, you lust. And lust is not just sexual desire. Lust is a strong desire to have our own way, to have our own pleasure. <clears throat> and the members, war in your members, verse 1 he's talking about, is in our physical body. Those desires and appetites, not just for those things that we would say are out of bounds, but for to have our own way, our own agenda. You lust and do not have. You murder. Like I say, they weren't killing each other in the context of the church. Remember <clears throat> what Jesus said. You heard it said, you shall not kill. But I say unto you, if you harbor hate towards your brother, you're guilty of murder. So if we're carrying around hatred toward anybody about anything, that's a violation of God's law about murder. And so there were people being addressed that were harboring contention and, and strife with each other in the body of Christ. He says, you lust and do not have, you desire greatly, you covet, you want something that belongs to somebody else so badly. And it, that doesn't just have to be a material thing. It doesn't just have to be a car or a home or money or prestige. It can be a position. It, it, can, it can be children, grandchildren, spouses. It can be anything. You desire something for your own self, your own pleasure, and it's creating war on the inside of you because you are in a place of envy, and then you become bitter towards those who have what you can't get. 
then he says at the end of verse 2, you don't have because you don't ask. Is your asker broken? Have you found yourself, oh, I just wish I could, I wish I could have, I wish I were. Do you find yourself in a place where there's so much strife about what you wish you had, but you found yourself not asking very much because you automatically assume he doesn't want you to have it? You do not have because you ask, and then verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. What does that mean? Out of line with the word and the will of your Father to whom you belong. Understand that we have covenant benefits, but there's one thing that trumps covenant benefits, and that's covenant ownership. Whether we live, we live to the Lord. Whether we die, we die to the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are by divine right and by divine redemption, we are the Lord's. Wow. You ask amiss because you ask so that you can spend it on your own pleasure. God, I want this because it would make me feel good and it would sure take a lot of pressure off of me if I could just get this. So let's ask the Lord, Holy Spirit, show us what are my motives in what I'm asking for. Are my motives to give you glory or are my motives just to please me? This is a powerful passage. Boy, this puts a test on what I ask for and why I ask for it. But that doesn't mean we ought to quit asking. It means to ask the Lord, help me to get in line with your will, your word. Well, Pastor, what do I do if I don't know what the will of God is or his word on this subject? Ask the Lord, tell the Lord what it is that you want. Philippians 4 is very honest. He says, let your requests be made known unto God. And Father, if I'm asking anything that's out of line with your word and your will and your highest and best for me, just overrule this prayer. But don't quit praying. Do not quit praying and asking the Lord to do what it is that's implanted in your heart to do. You ask and do not receive. You ask amiss. And then verse 4 adulterers and adulteresses. Wow. Understand, these people were not living in sexual adultery. They were living in spiritual adultery. What is spiritual adultery? Spiritual adultery is when we lose our first love and we begin to love something out of line and out of order with our God. And here he goes on to explain it. Here's what spiritual adultery is. Do you not know that friendship with the world, the word there is cosmos, is enmity with God? It, is, it creates distance between us and his manifested presence when we love and become friends of the world. Why would that be? All right, hold your place there. Turn over to 1 John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5, in verse 19. 
We know that we are of God. Those who are born again receive the gift of God by faith through the grace of God. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway, under the influence of the wicked one. He's not talking about the earth here. The earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof, Scripture says. He's talking about the system that is in operation on the earth that is under the influence of the evil one. This system, this system of, of education, entertainment, government, this system, this man-made system that rules, oh, rules out God and the, and the power and the authority of the kingdom of God, this system, this world system under the influence of the devil is contrary, is adulterous to the bridegroom of the church. Do you know the word of God tells us that we are the bride of Christ? He's our bridegroom. And when we flirt with coming under the influence of the world, its values, its, its way of method of operation, if we believe the lies of the world, we're believing the lies of the devil because the world system is under the influence of the devil himself. Jesus said, John 8, 44, the devil is a liar and the father of lies. So when we live in love with the world, we're living in spiritual adultery. Why is that, uh, Pastor? Okay, turn back there to John chapter 2, and let's look at verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You can't be in love with the Lord and the world at the same time. This world system and its values, its method of operation. For all that is in the world, verse 16, here's how you define the world system, the cosmos. The lust of the flesh, the desire to have my own way for my own pleasure, the lust of the eyes, I'll never stop wanting something that I see that I don't have. It's, it, it is a powerful grasp. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That is not of the Father, but is of the world. That's what the Word says. So let's ask ourselves the question, Lord, what is it that I seem to want and even have internal striving to get that is not born of you? It comes from the system. What is it? And then do what the Holy Spirit says to do because I don't know about you, but this is an indicting thing here. I don't want to be in an adulteress or an adulterer to the bridegroom of the church the Lord Jesus. Lord, show me. In verse 5, do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? Do you know that the Holy Spirit is aching on the inside of you when you begin to wander away from your marriage vows to the Lamb of God? If I begin to become friends with the world, the Spirit of God yearns 
aches for my return. I don't know about you, but this is great encouragement to me. If you're praying for someone that you're heartbroken about, who has wandered off from their first love and become a spiritual adulterer or adulteress, who's fallen in love with what the world says, ask the Lord to make this verse come alive in your loved one. The Spirit who dwells in us yearns, longs, aches with jealousy. If I begin to fall in love with somebody besides the bridegroom of the church, the Spirit of God is yearning on the inside of me. So why don't you ask the Lord to, by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, to turn up the volume of that yearning in your loved one, to make it loud and irresistible. It's a great prayer according to this word. Yearning on the inside. The Spirit. Sometimes the reason you are suffering heartache on those you love, sometimes it's because the Spirit of God is yearning inside of you for them. If you think that walking with Jesus just means that you can, you can just pray and never have to feel what he feels, you're wrong. How would that be intimacy with the Lord if you don't ever feel what he's feeling? But pastor, it hurts. There is a godly suffering that yields eternal fruit. You're not going to experience the power of his resurrection until you experience the fellowship of his sufferings. How do I do that? Get in touch with the Holy Spirit in you which yearns jealously for those who are in a place of spiritual adultery to come back. I want you to know who are looking on today that sometimes your pastors, we get into a place of deep pain and suffering, yearning. For you to come back to the Lord. And I make no apologies for that. Sometimes we have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and yearn jealously for those that belong to Him. But, Pastor, that is so heavy. Yeah, that's the reason verse 6 is in there right after it. But even though the Spirit is yearning jealously in us, In our loved ones, He gives more grace. Hallelujah. Do you know that there's more grace than there is brokenheartedness? There's more grace than there is sin. The power of grace is the greatest power. It is greater than the power of spiritual adultery. The power of grace is greater than world situations. The power of grace is greater than any brokenness you have. God's grace, charis in the Greek, is his favor 
and his ability. God gives you more favor and ability than there is pain. God gives you the grace to return. God gives us the grace to break the power of spiritual adultery. How does he do it? God resists the proud and gives favor and ability, grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you after you submit to God. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, whatever it is that has got you distracted, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Those of you who think that you can walk the walk of fellowship with the Lord and yet hold on and have a love affair with the world, you need to purify your heart. It won't happen. It won't happen. Then he gives a strong warning to those who felt like that they could laugh it off and it wasn't that important and tells them again to humble themselves in the sight of God and he will lift you up. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. He will lift you up. How do you humble yourself? You admit and submit. You admit that you're totally dependent on him, that apart from him you are nothing, you can do nothing, you just can't do it. You're totally dependent on him for everything, every breath of life, and then you submit. When you admit your total dependence on him, you submit to his lordship of your life, your times, your desires, everything there is about you, you submit it to him there's grace there there's favor and ability favor of God and the ability to walk through anything that you have to walk through and receive victory the devil doesn't have any new tricks the lie in the Garden of Eden was you don't need to obey God. He's lying to you. He, he just wants to withhold something good from you. You're not going to die if you eat this fruit. He said you would, but you won't. The lie. Notice it felt great. The Bible says they saw it was good. It felt great. Ah, <sighs> we don't have to submit to what the Lord wants. It has felt great to many to just dump air all that pressure they felt like they had to have. Ah, <sighs> and just say, you know, I can just do whatever I please, but you need to understand this. The greatest lie there is is believing that life is all about withdrawals. 
you just get all the pleasure you want to. It feels good. You don't have to come and be part of a fellowship. You don't have to get into the Word of God or pray or praise. Don't ever forget this, ladies and gentlemen. The only thing that brings value to your life and to your eternity is investments, not withdrawals. Everything you want for here and eternity that has meaning and value to it costs you something. And if you believe that this present time of, oh man, I feel free now, I'm not having, I don't have to do this, I don't need to do that, I don't have to, you don't have to do anything, but there's a difference in what you have to do and what you need to do. And sooner or later, you're not going to be able to have the withdrawals of joy and peace and love and eternal security without an investment into the relationship with the only one who eternally gives you and your life value. So you can lay around and say, I ask for another day if you want to, but I want to tell you, the longer you refuse to withdraw, to invest, and you just think you'll keep on in it, withdrawing all the blessings and life is going to, you're deceiving yourself. Well, I don't like very much hearing that. I'm just telling you the truth. So let's bow our heads here now and let's think about this powerful passage in James 4. I certainly can't do it justice. It, it was uttered by the Holy Spirit and written by His servant. But maybe the Lord has spoke something to you today. Grace. Don't give up on where you are in your own journey with the Lord. Don't give up on those whom you love, he jealously yearns in those who have known him. Pray that that voice would be amplified in their lives. If you're buying into the lie that you don't really need to submit to the Lord, can I tell you something? It's a lie for you to think that this world belongs to you. It's a lie for you to think that your world belongs to you and that God has to somehow fit in where you can understand Him or accept what He's doing. That's a lie. The truth is, you belong to Him. And He'll reveal Himself to you as you trust Him and believe Him. It is the only way for eternal significance. Starting right here on this earth. Father, by the power of your Spirit, show us where we're believing lies and we'll repent. And show us the truth. We love you and thank you and we declare Jesus 
is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through Him. We declare that Your Word is true. Jesus said it was. We submit to You, Father. We're all in. We belong to You. Commit ourselves, spirit, soul, and body. Let Your Word go forth and do its mighty work. Anybody here who says today, Pastor, this message has touched me. The Lord has spoken to me by His Word. I need prayer in one or more of the areas that His Word touched today. Would you just lift your hand? Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, release mighty grace into these who are reaching out to you, your favor, your ability. Give them the peace of knowing that you're in charge now. That you'll bring your word to pass. And thank you for the privilege and honor that we have to cooperate with you as your sons and daughters, your bride. In the precious and holy name of Jesus. pray for you every day. We'll see you in two weeks. Go with God. He's going with you. You can access more of Steve Franklin's teachings online at www.sfmin.com.